It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Good evening from Coolidge, Arizona. It's April the 26th, 2018. And we are continuing in our study in Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel. Episode number 16, if you're keeping track. Um, And episode 16... And I was a little late getting my notes out this week. I hope that you have them as far as the outline form goes. But also we had a chart last week that you should have. It did go out. And uh, that little chart is real simple. Um, and I put on the bottom, you can write notes on it or whatever, but it's it was the least offensive chart I could find. I don't, it's okay, but it's certainly not the kind of chart I'd like to really put together for these, this comparison. And of course, it's a comparison of Daniel 2, Daniel 7, and some of Daniel 8. Um, but at least it doesn't go off into uh, the netherland on some of the theology there. And I think it's helpful just to look at it, and some of their references are, are pretty good. So, Last week we began, um, after some comments about the end of chapter 6, we began with chapter 7, and we were reading, of course, uh, I'm reading from the, the, um, the, um, the uh, Septuagint, yeah, I was going to say the lexicon, but the Septuagint, because it, uh, I think it has uh, the, the best wording. Um, even though it is a bit old-fashioned, it's not as bad, I think, as as the American standard in some ways. And it really uh, sheds, I think, a, a good light on the subject. It's quite simple, quite concise, and I think it's very complete and correct on top of that. So uh, we we read just the first three verses in that text, and I'd like to begin this evening with reading... Uh, I was just going to read verse 3, but I'm going to read 1 through 3, and then I have a few comments to make before we move on to verse 4. So, as it begins, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed, and he wrote his dream. I, Daniel, beheld, and lo, The four winds of heaven blew violently upon the great sea, and there came up four great beasts out of the sea, differing from one another. All right, that's the first three verses. And we spoke uh, at length about the issue of the great sea being the the Gentile world and and these uh, beasts being the Gentile kingdoms uh, that we're going to look at from Daniel's vision. And um, the images that Daniel saw in chapter 7 are representative of the, the uh, visions that Nebuchadnezzar the king saw in Daniel 2 uh, when they're both interpreted and explained. Uh, we see that they do correspond one to the other perfectly. Um, and these were the kingdoms in the Gentile world One of those kingdoms was present. That would have been the Babylonian kingdom, which was the first great kingdom. And God's hand was upon that kingdom uh, in way of providentially. And it also talked about three more kingdoms to come in the way of the Gentile kingdoms. Uh, And I'll talk about the last kingdom that was recognized a little later on. 
So even though the images differ in appearance, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's statue and, and Daniel's beast, they are one and the same according to the interpretation given. I want you to remember that uh, because that, uh, even though that seems to be uh, understood, um, there are some different ideas about it. And I really think we need to just let the scripture speak for itself in this. Um, but there's a lot to be learned from the interpretation of these uh, visions and, and the description of them. There's a lot of things there that God is trying to, to say and does say. Now, please be aware, though, that I think, in, in, in my thinking, in my understanding, the most important part of each of these images and interpretations is the fifth kingdom that is spoken about. Uh, it's revealed, if you will. Um, and that fifth kingdom is the everlasting kingdom. I say everlasting because that, that means it does has no time element um, uh, as far as an ending point. Um, and we spoke about that, how the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ became one kingdom in, in a mature way. So this everlasting kingdom revealed in Daniel 2.44, we see a starting point for that kingdom. Uh, and, and that starting point was during the time period of that fourth kingdom. And the one that we, we read about in Daniel 7 in verses 13 and 14 is speaking a little bit more at length and more descriptively of that kingdom in, um, in, in that chapter, chapter 7. So both of those things are there. And this everlasting kingdom is the reality of the world of men today. And it has been a complete and full-grown kingdom since uh, A.D. 70, 73. And I believe this is what the Bible teaches uh, all the way through. And that, that period of 70, 73 uh, A.D. is during the Roman rule, the Roman kingdom, uh, the fourth kingdom, if you will, in a numerical way. So, I want to say tonight that this truth is the point, really, of the visions that Daniel interpreted and uh, to Nebuchadnezzar and, and the interpretation of the, of the night visions that he had himself. I think this four, fifth kingdom is the real point of it because to the Jews, it was the great promise that God had promised from, actually from the Garden of Eden, a restoration of man back to, to God the Father. And God wanted to live with his children, but it had to be under the circumstances and under the direction of how things must be, because that is a never-ending, glorious kingdom of light, as the Bible talks about it. It is forever and ever. It had no beginning, God's kingdom. It has no end. It is a kingdom apart from the issue of time, tears, sin, and corruption. So do you see how important the study of Daniel is? That, that's why I think it's, it's so very important. And how it is in perfect harmony with the other Old Testament prophets as they speak of times in the future for the Jewish covenant people and things that God will do in, in that time period, right up to the very end of things, the culmination of the kingdom of the Jews, uh, both the reward and punishment, and the end of those things, the end of days, the latter days, if you will, of the Jewish uh, economy. Also, the as the Old Testament prophets prophesied, the New Testament apostles of Christ preached and spoke the exact same thing, culminating in the revelation of Jesus Christ 
that the Father gave his Son, and that was given to John, and we call it the book of Revelation. Uh, and within that we find perfect harmony, even though I, I must say, as you know, it's, it's not easily uh, come to or deciphered, but it is there. God, Remember, this is God's Word. It is not there to confuse us. It's not a mystery book. Uh, it doesn't have, uh, uh, it's not, um, I was thinking of another sort of thing where uh, you're trying to find out the, the magical answer. No, no, it's all there. And friends, tonight, I think many preachers of today are discovering concerning the Old Testament writings that the real fact is that most believers and most of the folks in the churches and in their families even are very uninformed concerning the Old Testament. We find people writing about this all the time now. And this sort of situation really needs to stop. We have to repair that. How can we preach to the brethren without using the whole oracles of God, all of the oracles of God? I think we cannot, or we at least we should not. And so we here continue to invite all who will and who are willing on the glorious journey that the Word of God provides to those who would diligently seek Him through His Word. Now, I'm sorry I just went to preaching and all that, but to me this is, this is the reason why we do things. We just don't pick a spot and, and, and start to diagram or uh, decipher that. There has to be a reason and, and, a, and a pattern for the things that we do. So hopefully this pattern is a pattern that will be useful uh, for, for the time now and the time in the future. And then we're ready to move on in the seventh chapter now into Daniel's night vision. And we spoke last night, and Brother David made a comment about how incredible this, the wording here is about the vision and how it was, um, um, he had a dream, and it was uh, visions of his head upon his bed, and he wrote it down. I mean, how much more explaining can be done there? And I just think that's good. So we're going to deal with the issue of the first beast, um, which will be the first point tonight. And that's chapter 7, verse 4, of course. And they're short little verses, but they say a lot. We want to approach each one and, and try to make as many comments as is necessary here about what these things really do intend to do and to say to us. So, verse 4, the first beast, that is, was as a lioness, and her wings as of eagles. I beheld until her wings were plucked, and she was lifted off from earth. And she stood on human feet, and a man's heart was given to her. Now, we're talking about the head of gold here, aren't we? Yeah. That, that's, the, that's the comparison. It's, here it's a lioness. Um, now, I, I look at this. It, it's uh, a lioness. A lion is the king of the jungle. You know, we think of a powerful animal, don't we? It had eagle's wings, and an eagle is swift and strong. Uh, among birds, he's he's a mighty bird. <clears throat> Far-reaching, too. Far-reaching. Precise. And this gives us an idea of of the makeup of the Babylonian kingdom. This is kind of how you would visualize it. Uh, as a as a person, you know, especially people of that day, maybe not so much with our urban world today, but uh, 
people that know the land, they, when they look at animals and see things in the animal kingdom, they put things together and they make these comparisons. And, and they're valid. Jesus used them all through his teaching to the people. Uh, and if you don't know about those things, it's too bad. Uh, uh, you, you really should. So, as I said, and as the scripture says, the wings were plucked. And that means something. What happens to a bird when you pluck the wing, the feathers off the wings? Can't fly. That's the simple, simple answer, isn't it? But it's also the right answer. <laughs> something was, something happened, didn't it? The flying was over, and and uh, many commentators uh, uh, believe, and and I do too, that the plucking of the wings, of the feathers off the wings, really meant that there was an end of the expansion of the Babylonian kingdom. Neil? Yes. It's interesting that I hadn't <clears throat> seen this before, but the lioness <clears throat> and the, all, all of those and the pronouns for lioness are all in the feminine gender. They are. <clears throat> so even though it's referring to Nebuchadnezzar and his kingdom, it is talking about the purpose of the Babylonian Empire, and and uh, just like <clears throat> even though the eldership in the New Testament is made up of male uh, males, as a group they're always in the feminine gender yeah. because they serve a purpose, and deacons. The the uh, the diaconos um, is in the feminine gender, even though each member is a male, yeah. because they're serving a bigger purpose than themselves. So the reason this is in the feminine gender isn't because it's not talking about Nebuchadnezzar. It is talking that this nation this Babylonian nation fulfilled a very special and unique purpose. That's point number one. <clears throat> you want point number two? I do. <laughs> I agree with Point you. number one, thank you. Oh, well, I, you may not, but that's fine. So, and then then we have Nebuchadnezzar as the head of gold, but <clears throat> as he, he, that's, he, he's the king of beasts. He was king of kings. He had an absolute and unrivaled uh, nature of, uh, or let me let me reword that: that the absolute and unraveled nature of Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon, in fulfilling God's purpose, in Him rebuking and correcting and chastising God's people, prefigured the figure uh, the kingdom of Christ. So there's some typology involved in here. Because Christ is referred to as Nebuchadnezzar, as the king of kings, as Nebuchadnezzar was, lord of lords. He's also called the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yes. So there, there's a great deal of similarity there. And as the lion uh, roars over its prey, so Christ trod underfoot all of his enemies and brought to nothing all of the world powers that opposed his kingdom and his gospel brought them to an end, bringing Rome to ruin, Jerusalem to desolation, just as the Babylon Empire had done. So Nebuchadnezzar then, in his purpose, seems to be, this is a suggestion now, seems to have been a type of Christ in his siege of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple in 586 B.C., or whatever date you're using for that. <clears throat> so here you have that lion-like quality of the first beast, powerful, uncontested power. It vanquished the whole world and trod, trod underfoot everyone that opposed it. And, of course, that's what Christ did in his uh, in the book of Revelation up to and through uh, the fall of Jerusalem. 
So that's point number two. Point number three. Should I go on or not? Yes, go on. Okay. Um, each of these beasts ultimately lose power. Every one of them lose power. But only the first beast, the one that you've read, just read in verse 4, is described as receiving a man's heart. and being made to stand upright. It's not just talking about the mere loss of imperial power that he had had, but receiving a man's heart. Um, that, that's the most profound change in this beast nature. Standing upright. Invested with the dignity reserved by God for man alone amongst all of earth's creation, Nebuchadnezzar was reinstated with the dignity of humanity. And isn't that what Christ did? Exactly. When Christ came, he restores the dignity of the human person, the dignity of human life. I think I'll stop there. By being, I don't want by to being a perfect man, sinless. A sinless, perfect man. Capable and only perfect because he was capable of being imperfect. Therefore, he could be perfect. So that's a great observation. Nebuchadnezzar prefigures the Christ in so he many ways. This Christ, and particularly the Babylonian kingdom prefigures the purpose of Christ's kingdom and Christ of course as the head of his kingdom and then Christ as having the heart of a man Certainly. and restoring the dignity to humanity. Mm-hmm. You see the point? I, I do. I, I do and, and the, the culmination of him, uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel 4 verse 28 and 29 in the Septuagint, that, that's what it's speaking of. And, you know, the last words of the king were words praising God. That's right. Made it clear his mind and his heart were certainly in the right place at that time. Hey, there's one more point yeah. I, 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 while I'm at it. And that's point number four, if I can remember. And that is to contrast the Nebuchadnezzar with Nero, because you're going to be you're going to be introducing Nero here yeah. before long, and Nero was just the opposite. <clears throat> um, Nero um, he he turned into a total beast in his rage against heaven and in his persecution against the church, and he never repented. He never came around. He did not have the heart of a man restored. Nero is very important in that he was in contrast to Nebuchadnezzar. And I think we're going to see this as you open up when we get to that point. We're not there yet. <clears throat> yeah, that's right. And certainly, of course, he's, he's an object in, in the final, in the final uh, exploration of the final beast. He's a, he's a very big object in, yes. in the picture coming up. He's, so, ne- he's never named, but it's quite clear what's going on and who's doing it. Because we know the history now. We know what he did. Yes. Against the church and mm-hmm. Christ's kingdom. <clears throat> so we can compare it uh, to what's written, and we see, of course, that things fit very well. Well, thank you, David. Um, and that's the idea of exploring the be- these beasts. So I think this is a lot better than just drawing a picture of a lioness with wings. I mean, that that's quite an image. Even it represents the head of gold, and these things are wonderful. But what is the what's the character and the personality of of not only the leader of the kingdom, but but the kingdom itself. You know, uh, countries have 
personalities and they have characters. They still do, although they're trying to be more and more like each other. But uh, nonetheless, they, they do have these things. So uh, I believe that's good. And as we move through these beasts, the various ones, I think we're going to be able to expand on the character of the empire that they represent, and we're going to have a better idea of each empire and how they affected the covenant people of God, Daniel's people, as is spoken out, because that was the issue with Nebuchadnezzar. He had charge of a very precious commodity. He had the people of God. He had brought with him and took them back to his country. And this was the, uh, these were the people that the Messiah would come from. So he had a great, even though he might not have known it to, to begin with, but I think he became aware of it. Uh, but God held that as a very important situation, and he needed a, a person that was thinking right. It was all to do with the welfare of his covenant people. He even preserved their artifacts all the way through, right? Didn't we find that? He did. Later? He did, and so did the other kings. Only It was only at the end when there was a defilement of it uh, due to, uh, you know, people, people lose their understanding after a time. They get accustomed to doing this and doing that. Pretty good party trick, though. But, yeah, it was. But it was disastrous. It's, it was really uh, uh, a bad omen, as they said. So what we're going to find here in these character and nature of these, these beasts is great evidence that the Jews had when Daniel was written and the Jews of, of the ancient day could sit down and read these things concerning the kingdoms that, that had been and that were and that were to come. And that's what I think about. And, and you know, as I was reading Josephus, uh, he writes much about the things of Daniel, but he pretty much brings it to a conclusion as far as his writings um, um, just before this occurs. And then he starts talking about the character of Daniel, how Daniel was respected throughout the, the known world, and and uh, how he was providentially used, and all of these things that he writes about. But Josephus did not get into the latter part of Daniel because I think um, it would have brought him to some real... He, uh, he needed to make a few decisions and conclusions himself. I don't know if he was ready to do that at the time he was putting together the, uh, the history of the Jews. So I thought that was interesting. So we won't get any more Josephus in, in these latter chapters. And uh, because how, how is he going to comment on some of these things? Uh, it's very, very interesting. And it's, uh, it's rather telling. Now, uh, I think we can move on to the second beast. And hopefully uh, someday we'll be able to have a nice chart that uh, not only has these things laid out, but some references and some thoughts on it that will bring a little more light to these things, make good comparisons and, and good um, uh, typology, as David was just talking about, how it refers to the prophetic writing of the other Old Testament prophets and Revelation and the, the apostles of Christ. That would be a wonderful tool. But the second beast is verse number 5 of the 7th chapter. And it begins, And behold, a second beast like a bear. And it supported itself on one side. And there were three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said, to it, arise and devour much flesh. Well, we've got some real issues in that uh, that are very interesting, I think. Now, we know that 
if this is the second kingdom, it's described as a bear, and 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 uh, this is somehow representative, uh, figurative of the 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 Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, that is is actually in place in the year 538, almost to, about one year short of the last year of the uh, 70 years of captivity. But nonetheless, this this Persian Medo-Persian Empire, the bear, is equal to the chest of silver of Nebuchadnezzar's dream, the the chest and the shoulders, I believe the. Um, and the folded arms as we have it here in our sheet. And and that's the second kingdom. And see, we know that the second kingdom began um, as far as a worldwide kingdom. It had existed beforehand, uh, but it began as a worldwide kingdom, especially how it affected the Jews and, the, and King Nebuchadnezzar's family, in the Babylonian kingdom in 538 B.C. Now, to try to explain the, the bear on one side lifted up, um, I read from Jesse Mills' uh, survey of Daniel, and he says this probably represents the idea that the kingdom was in place and it was arising to do more conquering, if you will. In other words, uh, you know, the, the Medo-Persian kingdom had come together in cooperation. It was already a large kingdom. They had been doing a lot of uh, warring, if you will. They had already went clear through Asia Minor and had a, had a capital in, um, in Asia Minor. I think it was Sardis, uh, one of the cities on the main road over there. They had already been all the way there nearly to the Aegean, or Macedonia, uh, and now they were working their way through the Babylonian kingdom. So the bear on one side lifted up, and the three ribs and the teeth probably representing the idea that they had conquered uh, many other groups um, along the way. Now, one of the most interesting things in here is the idea of uh, uh, the word here, the, the pronoun they, um, and and thus they said to it. <laughs> the they is is quite a comment. Uh, so there is in this vision, uh, there is an entity speaking to the beast. And they said to the beast, Arise and devour much flesh. And isn't that just what the Medo-Persian Empire did? Uh, they arose with a roar and devoured many kingdoms and many people. And it says, Devour much flesh or devour much meat, depends what translation you have. But today being... Maybe the same sort of they that we read about in Daniel before that was called the watchers uh, or those in, in a spiritual realm that were entities that were speaking. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but we certainly have an idea here that this is more than just a blurry, a wispy uh, a dream. This is something that has real details in it. Not only not only uh, uh, things that you can see, but things that you can hear, and I think that that is very very interesting. But don't we see there in, in this the the character and the personality of the rulers of the Medo Persian Empire? I really think we do. Uh, and I think that's the, the idea and the object of this uh, for, for the reader of Daniel because um, there's a lot of effort into uh, recording these things and, and God, by his providence, has kept this available for mankind to have and to read and to study and to learn from for a long time. 
and he will continue as long as necessary. But the other thing about the second beast that we know, because we've read many Old Testament passages from Isaiah, uh, Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, concerning the, um, the Persian king, Cyrus. Remember? Just last week we read it again. Where God, in Isaiah 45, the first few verses, God makes it known. He calls him by name, Cyrus. Uh, even though Cyrus didn't know who he was, he was calling him by name hundreds of years before he was born. Um, and he was going to be the one that would defeat Babylon, the Babylonian kingdom. And he was going to be the one that freed his people, the Jewish people, the covenant people. And they were going to spend 70 years in captivity in Babylon. And by the way, when we see these round numbers like 70, because of the way God does things and the precision he does things, both in language and, uh, and purpose, I'll bet it was 70 years to the day that the first free foot of, of a Jewish person went on the path to walking back to Israel. Uh, I'll bet it was that exacting. Although it's not necessary for us to know, there's no documentation on it, but it is a 70-year period uh, that, that had to be fulfilled for a number of reasons. Um, um, that God had to purify the land, actually, to to make things right again uh, from what they had been doing. And you remember what they were doing in their homeland that God gave them. They had caused a lot of disruption. They had made it unpure by their activities, and it took 70 years for these things to be accomplished for them to return. Neil? Yes. Did you finish your thought yeah, there? Yeah, I did. Um, <clears throat> a little different take mm -hmm. here. I'm not asking anybody to agree or to harmonize with it. But when it talks about the three ribs, yeah. that was done <clears throat> previously to the rest of the verse. And... Uh, it already had three ribs in the mouth of it. Right. Already. Already. Had. And that would probably be uh, Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. They all, and did you say that? Did Mel no. say that? But I, I said they had the conquered, <clears throat> the conquered okay, they areas. Had do, they had done that under Cyrus. That's right. And <clears throat> and then the the it's possible then that the. Um, the bear raised itself on one side, throws the weight of the imperialism of the empire uh, to um, uh, to the Persian yoke. That's true. Because in 38 years, the Medes were broke. Mm -hmm. They bent. And so it's probably depicting the sway of power by being on one side, he already had. Together, they had conquered Lydia, Babylon, and Egypt. Mm -hmm. And now, uh, the contest goes to Persia. Persia, right. They're the winners, and they, they emerge as the victor. They become the main. They become the main one by Cyrus. Right. And it took 38 years for that to transpire, if, if my memory is right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Cyrus and then his son actually took the uh, position the position that Darius had in Babylon. Yeah, Cambyses. Yes, Cambyses. Okay. And, uh, of course, Cyrus, or uh, Darius, as we know, was 62 years old when, when he conquered Babylon. Um, and as and we know, they are certainly two different people, Cyrus and, and Darius, or Darius. Now, an interesting thing about the, the Persian kingdom, um, when, when they conquered Babylon, um, 
Well, actually, the, the empire of the Persian Empire lasted until 331 B.C. Uh, and, and so from the fall of Babylon until 331 B.C. when Alexander once again went to Babylon and deposed them was 208 years, much, much longer than the uh, Babylonian kingdom, which was about 80 84 years or 86 years. Uh, so this was a quite long-lived kingdom, uh, very powerful. Um, and these things, of course, we know, uh, hindsight, we know when it began and we know when it ended. And, and that's the beauty of it. But the personality of it, I believe you did a good job there, David, uh, talking about the idea of the Persians did overwhelm you in a political way uh, the Medes. And we know that because uh, they were moving uh, the capital around. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and we're going to find Daniel in a different location here too pretty soon. Um, and they, they moved things around. It, didn't, didn't ha- it wasn't in Babylon any longer. It, it, it ended up in a couple of different two or three different places and Cyrus uh, never did uh, stay in Babylon he had uh, he had capital cities in other locations in the Persian Empire so is there any more thoughts on the second second beast I, I have two yeah um, could the they be a representation of the sea perhaps the Gentile community as a whole Embracing the Medes and the Persians to get up and take it o- and take over. It's just a thought. Well, you know, I really don't know. I didn't hear the first part of this question. The uh, the, the they the talking of and thus they said to it. In other words, the they there are some some someone is saying to the kingdom to the bear. Arise and devour much flesh. And that's a very interesting phrase. And I I don't believe it's defined other than what we have right here. I just can't think of any other antecedent, any other party involved except for the sea. I don't think that the first beast would tell it to rise up and take me over. No. And that's the other part. The other part, part I had questions about is why this beast is in the neuter gender and not feminine like the head or the 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 lioness that's okay this beast is in the neuter gender from, from what i saw here okay in the fifth verse all of these nouns are neuter well that one's not i'm not sure what that one is that's the like that's the likeness that is this this is beast I believe, and that's neuter. But these other nouns I've found, that's neuter. It, that that might take more time. Yeah. And to go through this. Well, that, that's a, that's a good point. And if we found the gender of the pronoun. Mm-hmm. Well, the beasts are neuter in Revelation as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I, that's right. And uh, the. Uh, and that's be, that's because they are simply instruments of use. True. Something else is working through these images. They're not self-initiated. But in in contrast to the lioness, which were everything there was feminine, and, and that's because it's fulfilling a very specific purpose, different than these other three. Okay. But so that's that's that is, uh, that's a great point, though. That's okay. a great distinction. Um, I, I, I see I would envision them all being neuter, but because that one did, does, okay. Yeah, the the, Bab- the Nebuchadnezzar and, and the Babylonian kingdom were purpose-oriented. Yes. God was using them to fulfill his purpose. That's right. Pertaining That's why to, it's in the feminine gender. Pertaining to his people, <clears throat> the discipline. As, as okay. he's using Cyrus himself mm-hmm. as the king yeah. to also set his people free, if you will. Lots so, of iron out. That's, that's good.
but the uh, that we we see the providential work of God through here, and yet these people are certainly uh, busy about their own purpose as as their warring continues. That's that's for sure. And we're de- drawing close to the end of our our time today, but we got time I think to look at the third beast, and we'll probably pick it up then. Uh, back in the Septuagint, verse 6 of Daniel 7. Uh, and this is an interesting one because, of course, we're going to be looking at the uh, the kingdom of uh, Alexander the Great, the Greek Empire. So, in verse 6, it says, After this, in other words, after these other two beasts, I looked. And behold, another wild beast as a leopard, and it had four wings of a bird upon it, and the wild beast had four heads, and power was given to it. Another, and and the word wild is used now for this beast. And I, you know, the 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 mystic nature of Alexander the Great. If you read uh, secular works concerning him and all of this, he's a a figure of great uh, lore. Um, But he certainly was a real individual. Um, And probably one of the best um, emperors or generals or strategists that's ever lived from what he did. Uh, And one of the things that he did that no one had been able to do, even Nebuchadnezzar uh, or the the Persians, was to to defeat the city-state of Tyre on the sea. Uh, Alexander actually defeated Tyre and and built... (laughs) And that's the land uh, and, mass built? Yeah, and built the land, a landmass out to it, and 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 took it. Uh, now that took some doing. That that took some doing. Um, but the, the wild beast, as a leopard, it had four wings and four heads, and power was given to it. Now, if power was given to it, where do, what does that mean? Does it, did Alexander give it the power? No. Or was power given to it for a purpose? There's a great purpose. If you study the, the Greek Empire, you'll find that uh, the, the whole concept of what Alexander did in his realm was um, to make the furtherance of the gospel of Christ very much easier done in, in the not only the language... But the road building, the the civilization uh, thinking that he brought to people, things of this sort, it, it just goes on and on and on. But the so the symbolic idea here of the uh, the four wings and the four heads, especially the four heads. Um, but this is equal to the torso of the statue of Nebuchadnezzar in the dream, the brass torso. So Alexander is the brass in that statue. So now we find all sorts of character and power revealed in the descriptions that that are given here um, of Alexander the Great and and the Greek Empire. Now the the foreheads, and this will be probably all we can talk about tonight, the foreheads probably represent the four generals that divided the kingdom in four ways, almost equitable, um, after Alexander's death. And it was considered a very untimely death. I think he was only in his 33 years old. No one knows what he died of. It certainly wasn't boredom, though. That That I'm sure of. But the four generals were Cassandra... Uh, Lysuchimus, Seleucus, 
the first, Nick Nicor, and the one that we hear a lot about, Ptolemy the first, Soter. Uh, Ptolemy had the southern kingdom, and Seleucus the northern kingdom, and 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 in those those ways. And of course, we're going to know, we're going to hear a lot more about these things later on in Daniel. And as far as that goes, the history of the Jews, even the uh, within the uh, apocrypha of the Jews, um, the Maccabees, the history in the Maccabees, a lot about these northern and southern kingdoms and things of that sort that were in the future. So this, I think, we'll have to close this evening. Uh, we went a little past our normal time, um, but we will pick it up again. Um, and we're going to, uh, within the next uh, two or three sessions, we're going to have our, our dates firmed up as to when this uh, class will come to a conclusion for the summer break and when we will start again. And we'll try to get those things ironed out so that we can keep everyone that's listening uh, via the Internet and talk to you uh, informed. So let us, uh, let us close with prayer tonight. Our Father, we thank you so much for the time that we have to look at these things and to uh, enlighten our thinking uh, with the great depth of wisdom we find in your world in your word. And we pray, Father, that we are useful as your servants to expound these things in a way that will bring uh, a great help to those that are listening, those that are learning, and those that are seeking you. And we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.